0: Okay. Well, Janae, thank you so much for being here. And well, Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. And I think one thing just up top that sometimes people seem to be uncomfortable when it comes to talking about issues of gender identity specifically or, or just identity. And I think one of the best things to do is just ask. So... You identify, and correct me if I'm wrong, is transgender, gender-fluid, non-binary is what works best for you.
1: Correct, correct. Um, And then I can explain why I identify that way. So I identify as transgender because I do have a strong female gender identity, and that's something I knew by the time I was five or six years old. You know, something that was constantly there in my mind, I knew, you know, like I said, very young. And it's always been something I struggled with from the time I was a child. Um, I, I identify as gender fluid because there's some degree of fluidity with my gender. Um, some days I feel more masculine, some days I feel more feminine. Um, sometimes it can vary depending on the situation and, you know, who I'm interacting with. But, um, but that's not to say that I don't ever have a female gender identity, no matter how that the expression of my gender, or how I feel about my gender changes, I still have that core female gender identity, sure. um, but there is a degree of fluidity to it. And then with, um, Non-binary is basically saying I don't fit neatly in those two boxes of male and female, and this you know binary system that most of society operates in, and we've taught to believe is the only way to operate in. Um, So yeah, identifying as non-binary basically says I don't fit neatly in those boxes, which I think aptly applies to me as well. (laughs) I think that, um, and, and to say this, like I think people get too caught up sometimes with all the labels and how we identify. And we just gotta keep in mind, these labels are merely a means of, you know, describing who we are and and how we exist and helping other people to understand that. And there aren't rigid rules or, you know, definitions, and we're all free to use these in any way we feel comfortable. And to say that every trans person identifies exactly the same way or every non-binary person identifies exactly the same way or the same thing with gender fluidity, um, you know, would would be a mistake. Humans are incredibly complex you know, just by our nature, and um, to think that we all um, are exactly the same, even if we identify by the same category, of course, is misleading. Sure. And so I just like people to keep that in mind, because labels can be very limiting, you know, like, and, like for example, when I say trans, I'm transgender, if someone has never met a transgender person, or maybe they only know one, they're going to apply, inherently, when we hear a label, we're going to apply everything we know about that label to that person, whether it really applies or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, in the trans, what they think of when they hear the word transgender may be very different than what I intend or, you know, someone else intends. So I think it's just something good to keep in mind that, look, all we're trying to do is describe ourselves and, and how, you know, help that person understand us, but you know, that it's none of this stuff is rigid or strictly defined.
0: Sure. And was that a bit of a process for you, too, when you were starting to express yourself more openly of, of deciding for yourself, I don't need to fit into what's maybe someone else thinks is a trans box or, or something like that?
1: Oh, absolutely. And um, well, the thing I really struggled with was when I really started dealing with all this, which would be about 15 years ago now in my early 30s, um, was that I thought I had to fit into this binary system. So I was mm-hmm. struck in this battle of Um, do I, am I more masculine or I am, am I more feminine? Do I identify as male or female and feeling like I had to pick one of the other and that's all there was, there were no Mm -hmm. other options. And, you know, I hadn't been raised in a society that taught me to think that way. You know, I was taught that you have boys, you have girls, and that's all there is. And then when I realized I had all these issues with my gender identity, I felt like, well, if, you know, and if I'm going to be, if I'm going to identify as female and I'm going to be a girl. Then I have to conform to all these other ideas of what we've taught that femininity should be, which inherently are flawed anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, people can be you know anything they want, regardless male, female, or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, that was definitely a, a struggle. It took me a long time to figure out, and it wasn't until um, you know I started realizing like, look, I don't have to fit neatly in these boxes, and that I didn't fit neatly in those boxes. That relieved a lot of the struggle, and um, but it's still something that you have to be very conscious of that I, you know, battle with all the time because that's how still a lot of people see the world. And so if I don't fit neatly into this female box, it can make people uncomfortable. It makes, you know, it can make situations awkward. And, sure. um, and I, and I, if I'm not careful, I inherently just find myself sliding into a more, you know, stereotypically feminine role or, you know, by these constraints and feeling how I expect people um how people expect me to you know act and appear and so it's like i have to stay conscious of that and realize like look it's okay to be myself even if everyone else doesn't understand that and not conform to society's ideas about what masculinity and femininity mean
0: sure has that been I guess, fun or enjoyable for lack of a better word in the sense of when you're feeling that you don't have to fit into a box when there's times you want to express yourself in what people may think is a more traditionally masculine way, or there's times where you really want to express yourself more feminine. Has that been nice to just get rid of the barriers that way?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was definitely freeing for me because just that's just who I am, right? So Mm -hmm. like, it's the only way I'm able to be myself is to free myself from those boundaries. You know, and, and it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to feel good about yourself when you don't, when a lot of people don't understand you or you don't necessarily fit in. And that, and that goes for anyone who's different anyway. It doesn't have to be gender or sexuality or any of those things, but anytime you're someone who's seen as being outside the norm, it makes it difficult to operate in society. And, um, but it was, yeah, it was definitely hugely freeing. And, um, you know, gave me a real peace about um, my body and who I am and how I present, but it, but it's still a constant battle. It's something I have to stay conscious of and always work sure. on. But, but yeah, coming to that realization and, and knowing that I didn't have to fit neatly in these boxes was, you know, yeah, a huge weight off my back. And, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, and most days I love it. You know, just being finally being able to be myself after all these years of trying to force myself to fit in
0: certain boxes. Sure. And I guess maybe for people who don't know, you know, especially early on in your life, you did a lot of things that maybe some people would consider stereotypically masculine, almost kind of ultra masculine in terms of you were a Marine bodybuilder, world champion, power lifter. Did you, you think looking back, getting into any of those things, that it was almost a bit of a cover to pursue some of those things to try to express yourself as, as ultra masculine? Or were they things that You just gravitated toward in general because of your personality.
1: Well, that's exactly the um, ideas that were presented to me was that, oh, you're doing this to cover for who you really are and all these things. And honestly, it took a lot of, um, you know, a lot of analyzing, a lot of soul searching and a lot of stuff to really figure that out. And um, but I I was always um, I mean, there was a huge part of me I was suppressing. Um, I was suppressing all the feminine aspects of my personality for many, many years. And I mean, and that started from the time I was a young child. I was very conscious of how I was perceived. I was very conscious of gender because of all these feelings I was hiding. And I, and I was so terrified of what people would think or how I would be treated if anyone found out. And that was including my own parents. I mm. knew if I told them how I was feeling, it was not going to be received well. Mm. And um, so I was t- literally, literally terrified of anyone finding out. And, um, but as far as things like sports and even the Marine Corps and powerlifting, those were things I was just always drawn, drawn mm. towards and things that I've always loved. And, and, um, and that was con- very confusing for me too. I thought, well, gosh, if, if I'm if I really have this female gender identity, why do I want to be big and strong? And then it wasn't until I got close to the women in the strength training community that it all made sense to me. I found out there's a lot of women that struggle with the same thing they want to be big and strong, they like that feeling. And they really enjoy that pursuit. But what does society tell us? Well, men are supposed to be big and strong. Women should be small and dainty. And so there's all this pressure from around us. You know, oh my gosh, don't do don't do do not that. You're, you're starting to look like a man. Oh, those muscles are gross. You know, all this pressure. And, you know, why would you want to do that? So it's all this pressure to fit in and to not be different. But then when I realized, like, all these other women struggle with the same thing that are interested in strength training. That really was like a light bulb moment for me. It really helped me be more comfortable with who I am and, and keep pursuing strength training because I tried to kind of walk away from it unsuccessfully. I, <laughs> you
2: know,
1: I, I really enjoy it. It's just a big part of who I am and what I love doing. And like I said, even the Marine Corps and even, you know, all the other sports I like playing and even my competitive nature, mm. I think seeing these things as masculine or feminine is inherently flawed. And um, you know, gives people the wrong idea. And when we pressure from the time you know kids are young children, we're already pressuring them to fit into certain roles. You know, when a boy's out, outside falls down playing, you know, one of the first things parents say, "Oh, toughen up! Don't cry! You know, you got to be tough. You know, you may see the dad over there. You, you know, be a man." But right. then when little girls do, oh my God! You know, they run over. Oh my God, sweetie, are you okay? You know, yeah. there's all this encouragement to like. To show that, uh, you know, like, oh my gosh, I am hurt and I'm delicate and I'm fragile and all these things.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that's without even realizing it, people do this from a very, you know, with children from, the, from basically the time they're born. You know, what do we do? You know, we dress boys in blue. We dress girls in pink. You know, immediately the little girls are, their hair is grown out. The clothes are completely different. You know, mm-hmm. what are the, one of the big things nowadays, gender reveal parties. Why, why <laughs> yeah. is that the most important thing about your newborn child? You know, that. Right. Huge deal. And that just says what society thinks about gender and what a big deal it is and how differently boys and girls are treated. Mm -hmm. When in reality, well, you might be able to say, you know, there's definitely some differences on average, the range, how people range the most masculine man versus the most feminine man, the most masculine woman versus the most feminine woman, or what we would consider stereotypically masculine and feminine, there's a wider range within a gender than there is between the average of the two. Sure. And, um, and a lot of people, you know, don't really think about that kind of stuff, but that's But yeah, and then children, I see this from a very young age. They understand what's, you know, what's going to be received well and what isn't and what they're pressured to be. And they know when they're displaying behavior that people don't approve of. Mm. And so without even realizing it, we're forcing children into these roles, and, and they're, you know, aware from a very young age, and if you don't actually fit into those roles, it's, it's very damaging to your self esteem, you start to think there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I did. I, I immediately thought there's something wrong with me. Why do I feel this way? Um, and one, one story I always tell to kind of get this point across to people. You, you remember the Claymation Rudolph series? They show
0: every Christmas time. Yep, you bet. Yeah. Yeah,
1: went <laughs> with, and, um, well, they had the island of misfit toys, right? Yep. When I was a child growing up, I thought that's where I belong. When I watched mm-hmm. that show, I was like, that's me. I'm a misfit. I don't fit in. I don't belong. But I was hiding and trying to belong and trying to fit in really, really hard the whole time I was growing up. Halloween was torture for me because every year I wanted to be a princess or dress up in some really fem- stereotypically feminine outfit. But I was terrified to ask for it. I knew mm-hmm. I could. I knew if I did, it, you know, right away they'd be like, why would you want to do that? And it wouldn't be a positive thing. And most like I wouldn't be allowed to anyway. So by right. the time I was 9 or 10 years old, I refused to go trick-or-treating. I refused to go to Halloween because it caused so much anxiety for me.
0: Sure well, you hit on a couple of really great things there. I think you know one that's something I see when I work with high school athletes, you know f- female athletes. there is sometimes a stigma of I don't want to get big and strong, but mm-hmm. letting them know that those aren't mutually exclusive things. You can be feminine and still be strong, so I mean I got to know you first through the strength world, I think probably in old you know muscle magazines back in the day when i when I first got into it and I can tell from the different things I've seen that you do have a deep love and deep passion for training, pushing Mm -hmm. yourself physically. What is it about weightlifting specifically, strength training that you've always been drawn to?
1: You know, it's hard to say. I just, you know, like some people are born with a passion. And for me, that was lifting. It was just something, there was like, there was two strong (laughs) desires I remember from a very young age. I always felt like I was supposed to be female and I was always drawn to strength training. I remember being, you know, around the same age, five or six years old, seeing someone big and strong and just being like, wow, that's how I want to be. You know, by the time I was six years old, I I was sneaking over to my dad's weights and doing little curls. and (laughs) And by the time I was nine, I was training consistently. I was begging my parents for a weight set every year at Christmas. And in fourth grade, I got dumbbells. And then, you know, two years later, I finally got my first real weight set my dad melted down lead from car batteries and they weight plates <laughs> when I was like 10 years old. It was just something I was always into. And for me, it was, you know, it was just super fun. I love the changes to my body. I loved building strength. So, you know, something, whatever it is about me, it was just something I was always drawn to and really enjoyed and, and still do. And sure. that's what, I, you know, I really struggled when, um, when, you know, I started to transition, I felt like I had to give all this stuff up. And that was very difficult. And, and as I was losing size and losing strength and trying to be more stereotypically feminine or what people think a woman's supposed to look like, I was like, why is this making me unhappy? You know, it, mm-hmm. and there were certain aspects that I was really enjoying and were making me feel better about my body, but losing strength was really frustrating me and that really confused me. And then, well, so then I was like, well, gosh, am I really trans? Like, what, what's going on here? Sure. And, um, but like I said, then when I, you know, got closer to the women in the strength training community and listening to them, it was like hearing myself speak. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh, my gosh, well, this makes total sense. I'm just a woman who loves strength training. Sure. And, um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was always very passionate about it. And it's something I love doing. And I'm you know, one of those people that enjoys suffering for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> of, you know, I find a lot of satisfaction from pushing my body to the limit and, you know, getting mm-hmm. through that. And, and um, yeah, but just something I was always drawn to and always enjoyed. And I'm sure I'll do until the day I die. <laughs>
0: And how has the reaction in the strength community been, especially, I guess, maybe when you first started expressing yourself openly, because you were knowing, Croc was a uh, name, the Croc Row. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. people know that. Was it largely positive? Was there some pushback? Oh, there was definitely pushback. <laughs>
1: I, is, is like, I mean, you've kind of touched on it, but for those people who aren't familiar with me, you Know, not only was I a world champion powerlifter, and when I left the sport, I was you know number one in the world in my weight class all time. But as you probably remember, I was seen as like this ultimate alpha male, like mm-hmm. I was the alpha of the alphas, I was seen yeah. as the craziest, the most hardcore person. And, and that's why, like, the fans I had, that's why they you know followed me. And I would do all these crazy things, you know, log lunges and knee deep snow, and
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um. You know, I was known for like the intensity of my training programs and the heavy weights I would use and, you know, all this crazy stuff I did that hardly anyone else did or no one else did. And so when I came out as trans, and the thing is, I was out to family and friends for quite a while. I was out to some of my sponsors like Elite FTS um, and Dave Tate and those guys at Jim Wendler. They were awesome and very supportive. Um, but But then I got outed publicly in 2015 and it literally turned my life upside down and um i a lot of my sponsors left me i mean they they didn't make any qualms about telling me why they just thought it was bad for business and they cut me Mm -hmm. and um i would say the reaction overall in the sport was about 50 50 um a lot of the the higher level lifters like i said it was kind of known in the strength training community like people i was sponsored with and all my friends which were a lot of the other top athletes had known for years and so it Mm -hmm. was there were rumors and people you know kind of knew but at the high level i was pretty out about it but like the fan base really didn't know at all and um but but like as far as like elite level lifters even the people who didn't know after i was out there was actually a lot of support and a lot of them reached out to me Good. um to offer their support but among the fan base i would say it was like 50 50 split there was more support than i was expecting but there was some intense hatred as well i mean i had people messaging me and tell me they burned the posters that i had signed for them and and, you know, and then, you know, people telling me and then some people accusing me that it was all a big, um, that it was all fake. And I was doing it for attention and I was selling out as if this was a good career move. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. And um, yeah, and like, I kind of expected that I was prepared for it, but mm. I it definitely, though, there was more attention than I expected. I mean, powerlifting not being a real mainstream sport. Um, I, I knew it would be a big deal in the strength world, but I didn't really think it'd make much noise outside of that. But when I got outed, literally within hours, I had TMZ, Inside Edition, all these people calling my personal phone, like wanting interviews. Sure. So for the first several months after I got outed, I was basically doing interviews nonstop because I, I said, you know, like if my story's going to be told, I want to be the one to tell it. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, You know, I didn't want people out there saying a bunch of stuff and getting it all wrong, which, which still happened to some degree anyway. I mean, some people are just going to write articles, they're going to Say what they're going to say. And some of them don't do very good research, they get things wrong. And then it's really hard as an individual to have that stuff corrected because it'll just keep getting, I noticed like a couple of the early articles. Everyone else was just copying off those articles, so whatever <laughs> those early articles just kept reappearing, in article after article on, on all these different websites, and sure. some of this stuff got completely wrong. So it was like really frustrating. But um, you know, I feel like you have so little control over your own life, um, and so that's you know, and that was a big reason to do all the interviews. And yeah, for the most part, most of them went pretty well. I did have, mm-hmm. you know, some radio shows that tried to bait me into some more controversial arguments, but I was able to handle that pretty well. Um, you know some of the shows tried to sensationalize things a little bit and that was the biggest thing I had to guard against you know not not sure. being turned into a freak show and, and right. um, so that was uh, but then you know then the documentary happened and, and I thought they did a really good job with that and, and I thought that portrayed me very accurately basically mm-hmm. the director just followed me and my boys around for you know about two years and filmed my life after being outed and how that affected everything and um you know, and and they did a very good job of just, like, for, for me, people ask, you know, how was that? And, you know, was it really weird and all this? Well, I was used to being interviewed and stuff, you know, for mm-hmm. powerlifting and all these things. So I was kind of used to being in front of a camera. I was used to doing photo shoots and all those kind of things. And after a little bit, like, I got to be close with the whole crew that was shooting the documentary. And I'm still friends with all those guys to this day. But so it just became like home videos. Like I would forget mm. the cameras are on. I would forget that I was wearing a mic like twenty four seven. Sometimes I'm <would> <laughs> maybe, like, maybe I need to be a little more conscious of everything that's being said. But <laughs> but for us, it was it was really just like two years of home videos that they put together, and sure. and I felt like they did a really you know accurate job. And and for people that are wondering, there was nothing scripted. Nothing was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just they basically just followed me around. I, I guess my, my life was entertaining enough, there was no need <laughs> to, to spice it up. But, uh, but, it, but, it, but I felt that did a good job of you know, portraying me accurately and getting to see what my life was mm-hmm. like and, and how my boys reacted. And, and um, the frustrating things were, of course, there were people, for the most part, it, the response to the documentary especially was really, really positive. But um, but there were people that, you know, claim things that, oh, that you can tell the boys were forced to be supportive and all this stuff, oh. and, which is complete nonsense. Right. Um, but anyway, we, and, we, and since then we've done, you know, I've done some YouTube videos and stuff and let my boys speak mm. for themselves. And, you know, the thing is, they've known all their lives and they, for them, it, this is just part of who I am and it didn't change anything. So, you know, they grew up with it. They were. They knew about it before they had been taught prejudice and taught hate. So for sure. them, it was just no big deal and it, and it really helped them to be open-minded in so many other ways. So it was definitely a positive thing.
0: Yeah. And see, hit on another, a uh, lot of great things. And for those you know listening or watching, maybe don't know the documentary is called Transformer. It's on Netflix and it, it is really great. I think does a nice job showing things in a realistic way. And it, it sounds like you felt the same. And on that note, I guess watching it, maybe the hardest thing I thought like to watch, or the thing that made me, you know, like really feel emotionally, other than when they showed your uh, facial surgeries, I was watching like a little kid through <laughs> my fingers watching a horror movie because they really showed it. Oh yeah, which is yeah, great. Was, but, yeah. but go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, to I was gonna
1: say like you're not the only one to have that reaction to the facial surgeries. And when I first saw the first edit of it. I was like, wow, are they really going to leave all that in there? And I was <laughs> fine with it. But I'm just thinking, audiences, this is going to be a little shocking. And I, and, I, and I asked the director, Michael, about it. And he's like, he's like, you know, look, he's like, I want people to understand like what a major thing this is and how serious sure. it is and everything you were willing to go through to be comfortable in your own body. So he's like, I think it's important to show the severity of it so people understand this isn't just – you know, you throwing on makeup for fun or whatever. This is a serious thing and and a huge part of who you are and all the things you have to go through to just feel comfortable in your own body. So that's why he wanted to leave those in there. But <laughs> but after the first couple, uh, after the first couple of film festivals, we started realizing like we, I would turn around and watch because usually what they do at the film festivals when they did the screenings, they would have me come and I would sit like in the like I would come in and sit like after the movie started and just be sitting in the audience and at the end they would bring me up on stage and I would do a Q sure. and A, you know, and answer questions from the audience. And, um, but yeah, when that part would come at the end, when they would show the facial surgery, we'd all turn up and watch people's reactions, people covering their face. And, oh, yeah.
0: and, and, um, but yeah,
1: that was, uh, it was really interesting.
0: <laughs> and that, I guess I remember when I first, I guess maybe when you were talking about things more publicly and then I found out about, it. I think through another strength conditioning outlet, you know, just reading And when you started showing pictures and things of the recovery and of your face, my first thought was that does seem very difficult. You know, I mean, it's serious surgery. And then I thought, like, good for you. I, I just remember being so excited that like, and was that your feeling? Was it nice to like, after it healed, to look and your external expression matched more closely to how you were feeling inside?
1: Absolutely. Of everything I've done, and I've been through eight surgeries, and and granted, a couple of those were related to lifting injuries, you know, (laughs) tendon repairs and stuff from ripping off my biceps and triceps. (laughs) But um, but of everything I've done and and endured, the facial surgery was definitely the most significant and most worthwhile, but also by far the most major surgery. Even when I had surgery uh, for cancer, for those people that aren't aware, I had testicular cancer way back in 2004. Mm-hmm. and went through radiation and everything. And, and honestly, the facial surgery was a much rougher recovery um, than any of the surgeries I've had for anything else. And um, yeah, I mean, they're basically, you know, they're cutting chunks of bone out of your face and grinding things down and reshaping them. And they, and they basically, even though the modifications were not like, you know, it's I still look like me, just a mm-hmm. more feminine version. The, the whole goal of facial feminization surgery isn't to turn somebody into a beauty queen or anything like that it's it's to basically just make you look like a more feminized version of yourself basically you've been born female or or how you'd look if it was your sister you know so that's what Mm -hmm. they're all they're trying to do is remove masculine aspects of of your facial structure things like a large brow bossing you know a broad square jaw um you know and then doing other things to kind of soften the whole look of your face and but, yeah, they basically altered, like, every single part of my face, from my forehead, my chin, the sides of my jaw, my nose, my cheeks. Mm. And um, even, like in, like, in men, the upper lip is longer than in women, so they shorten, you know, they, they remove an entire piece of your upper lip and take that out of there. And, um, it, yeah, the recovery was brutal. There's so much swelling and bruising, and the pain for the first week is... Um, and I'm the type of person I don't take any pain meds, and they right. they thought I was absolutely insane. <laughs> and they weren't the first person first people to think that but um, <laughs> but uh, it, it was brutal out of everything I've been through that was definitely the roughest one, but also the the most um like i said the most significant and really did the most to help me you know feel comfortable in my body
0: mm-hmm. And so with the, in the documentary as well, that was, you know, a little tough to watch just because it was, it was graphic. But for me, I guess, emotionally, the hardest part for me, and, and certainly no disrespect to them, but when it was you first sort of presenting yourself as Janae to your parents
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and their initial reaction I mean, kind of broke my heart. I mean, how, how was that process and how is it now?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was tough. And the, and the thing is, it was very real. The interesting thing, and a lot of people wouldn't know this, um, I've talked about it a little bit, but like with my mom, she had known for 10 years, mm-hmm. but had refused to discuss it and had refused to see me, um, you know, as Janae. And um, that was literally the first time she had ever seen me presenting feminine. Mm-hmm. And, and And the first conversations we had ever had about it and uh when we went to you know i and i talked to her ahead of time and i'm like hey they're making this documentary and i want to come up and talk to you and, and they're going to come with me and film it and at first she was like no no no, i don't want to be on camera i don't want to be part of that and i said i said mom i understand that i said but i think this is important we want people to understand what it's like for people like me and, and i'm like i'm not asking you to act any certain way just be yourself and you know whatever you know say whatever you feel and i'm not asking you to do anything um, but I think it's important to include here so other families understand what you know what we're going through and just think about other moms can probably relate to where you're at.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um so then in the and the director talked to her and you know, off camera and said, Hey, look, we're not trying to you know, push any certain agenda or trying to make anybody look a certain way. We just we just want to observe Janae's life and see how things really go. And and then she agreed to do to it. And unfortunately, like I was worried that she would be nervous and maybe put up a front, but she didn't. She was honest mm-hmm. and yeah. And it, and you could tell she had a difficult difficult time even looking at me. And mm-hmm. um and then but it was it was hard. It was hard to hear when she said that she felt like her child had died. <laughs> I yeah. Always that. Yeah, that was that was a little tough to hear because she would never talk about it. I would, I brought it up all the time. We tried to have so many conversations, and she would just change the topic or refuse to talk about it. So these were the first, literally the first time I'd ever heard any of this or knew how she actually felt. Mm-hmm. And to hear that, yeah, it, it wasn't fun.
2: Yeah. And
1: um, you know, and my dad wasn't uh, well, probably not, not even not better, but probably worse. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and for people who've seen the documentary, yeah, he talked about, like, you know, if you show up, I think his exact words were, if you show up here with long hair and boobs, I'm going the other way. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think part of that, though, is, you know, the small town, rural upbringing, I feel like he felt pressured, like he had to say those kind of things. Like, sure. you know, he's not supposed to be okay with it. Um, but uh, it, it has gotten better with both of them. Uh, particularly, my mom has come around more lately. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still not, you know, I don't think it's still not like she just accepts me as her daughter. And that's that. Mm -hmm. But it's also difficult with my mom too, I think, because my mom's not stereotypically feminine. She was a total tomboy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, growing up, she wore blue jeans and t shirts every day, she'd come out and hit us baseballs. And So she's not like it's not like I could enjoy the really feminine aspects that you know you would be able to with a lot of mothers. We don't get our nails done together or (laughs) things like that. She barely wears makeup. So I you know, there there aren't those opportunities to bond like maybe a a lot of other other mother-daughter relationships would have. Sure. Um, and she and she always wanted boys. She never Mm. really it was like having a daughter was never a big thing for her. Um so, yeah, so it's been a little tough that way. But she's 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 come around a lot more lately. Uh, my dad's come around a little bit. Like, I mean, he is far. Um Christmas dinner last year, um, I invited him over. And, you know, we had a bunch of my boys were here and close mm-hmm. friends and family. And he came and I guess he didn't realize that I was going, I was wearing a dress and, you know, I had makeup and everything on. And at first he refused to come in. And then my boys basically went outside and talked to him and convinced him to come in. And then everything was fine. Mm. Um, maybe it was a little uncomfortable at first, but, um, you know, it didn't end up being a big deal. We really didn't talk about it, but everything, I mean, everything seemed fairly normal. So sure, it, it's better, not perfect by any means, but at least they're still parts of my life. You know?
0: Sure. That's good. And you had mentioned a couple of times your sons and I think in the documentary and just, you know, you, on your YouTube channel and things like that, it seems like you have a very strong relationship with your sons. And even you know, aside from, you know, them growing up with the gender identity things, I mean, what has been the foundation of just the close relationship you seem to have with them?
1: I think a lot of it was just based on trust and honesty. I mean, they knew the fact that I was open about everything with them from the time they were, I told them they were two, four and six. So they basically know their entire lives. So they knew, you know, that created such a bond of trust between us. And they knew that I was always going to be honest with them about anything, that I was never going to lie to them. I was never going to withhold things. And so that created a really special bond. And I've just always tried to be like one of the things I learned in the Marines, lead by example. You know, so it's like, if I want my kids to be honest, I better be honest. If I want them to be hardworking, I better be hardworking. So I've always tried to lead by example. I, you know, I'm a big believer in honesty, even if it's something that maybe I, you know, wouldn't want them to hear. But if they ask me about it, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell them the truth. You know, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I haven't lived a perfect life. I've made mistakes,
2: mm-hmm. and I would
1: rather have them learn from my mistakes than have to make the same mistakes themselves. Sure. And um, so, I, I think all those elements, you know, being honest, having that trust, you know, never lying to them. Because I think sometimes parents feel like they need to portray themselves as these perfect people in order to, you know, have their kids strive for the same kind of aspirations when in reality kids aren't stupid. They know when you're lying. And when you, and even if they don't know it at the time, sooner or later, most of the time that stuff's going to come out and that erodes the trust and it erodes the bond between you, Mm. you know, when they catch, you know, their mom, you know, with you know, like typical parenting stuff, little white lies stuff here and there, but the boys recognize that. And yeah. they would remember those things. And they would, you know, my middle son especially would challenge her on that stuff. And they knew with me that was never going to be the case. Like no matter what it was, even when it was stuff I necessarily maybe didn't want to be open about, I was <laughs> going to be honest and, and tell them the truth. Sure. And uh, yeah, so we've always had, I mean, I'm very fortunate to really have a strong bond with all three of them. I'm, you know, we're very close. And, and, um, and I think just my nature kind of helps a little bit too. My youngest, you know, was a few years back one day said that I was the best dad because I was like a dad and a mom. And they, you know, yeah. and they recognize the differences between other people's parents and how I was. Mm-hmm. And um, I think especially too, I, even though like, you know, I'm trans and all that, I've definitely played more of what people would consider a fatherly role in their lives. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, just when it comes to sports and teaching them things like that and the lifting and all those aspects of, and, um, and I, I think, but they recognize the difference between me who never felt a need to put on this like macho front mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and I could show strength without being like, you know, this person who was also really insecure about things. And I was never afraid to be affectionate with them. I'm, you know, very huggy and,
2: mm-hmm. and, you
1: know, you know, there's a lot of affection there. And so they recognized those things and I, and I think they really liked it and enjoyed it. And um, and I think it, and it never, they never felt pressured to have to be, you know, they could just be themselves. There was, I, you know, I never pressured them to, you know, like you see some fathers, well, oh, they have to be a man. my like, my son's gotta be this uber tough. And the funny thing is all three of them are tough. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sure. But, um, but they never felt pressured to be any other way that they felt comfortable with.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, like I said, it, I mean, if I could encourage any parent anywhere, it would be with those main things be a hundred percent honest with them, be open, you know, never lie to them and, um, and lead by example. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, it's, it's easy to preach things. It's easy to preach integrity and to preach honesty and do those things. It's a lot harder to live that way, but your kids mm-hmm. see that and they're going to respect it a lot more if you uphold those same values.
0: Yeah. And to that point for anybody who hasn't seen the documentary, I recommend it. Even, I guess if people, aren't as interested in your story specifically there the moment where I think there's a moment you're sitting at the table putting on makeup and the the boys are kind of playing around and they just sort of start naturally talking about how happy they were for you and Mm -hmm. and I, I think you know one of the lines is even like one of them said like I respect you more than anybody else or something like that I just thought like I mean that was a very touching moment and I mean I guess I don't even really have a question for that. I just thought yeah. that that was such a great thing. Is it nice to have a little bit of that, like documented too? Like you kind of talked about family oh, videos. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm so happy to have all that footage and just like for me, it's like watching home videos, right? Especially mm. you know the boys are a big part of the film. So like the 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 scene that we're all playing in the pool. <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and then at the end we were throwing snowballs down by the creek in the winter yep. time you know, that stuff. I'm so glad that all, you know, we have all that on camera. Cause for me, like I said, it's, it's like really high quality home videos and <laughs> so many, you know, so many great moments. And that's, that's really been our life the entire time that growing up, that's just how it is. Like we spent time together and it's always been that way. So yeah, it was really nice to have those moments captured. And, and I think for the boys too, that it did help them build even more respect for me, not just because of my accomplishments, but because they knew that they, they understood, they recognized the pressure I was under to not be out about those things. And sure. you know they saw me you know they saw, you know, my youngest two especially, had come to like the Arnold Classic and stuff with me. They saw me you know, signing autographs and taking pictures with fans that would wait in long lines just to see me. And they recognized everything I accomplished in the strength world and knew like, you know, we're old enough to recognize everything I was going through when I came out and how difficult that was and mm. that, you know, not having that need to, you know, have to hide everything, and be able to be who I am. They, you know, they, they, they saw the difficulty in that. And I think, yeah, I think just like they said, it, you know, it helped them respect me even more.
0: Sure. When you do look back on a lot of your accomplishments, is it more enjoyable now that you can express yourself openly and look back at those things, or is it almost bittersweet that you look back and have the memories of, yeah, I achieved this great thing, but I wasn't able to express myself?
1: You know, I, honestly, I just tried to enjoy it for what it was, and and mm. those were huge goals of mine. And um, I, I really don't have any regrets. Maybe the only regret, even a little bit would be that I didn't come out fully sooner. And like I said mm. that was but, but read the whole reason behind that was I didn't wanna put the boys through any more difficulty than what they were already facing. And I had talked with my close friends, even with some of my sponsors and and a bunch of people that I respected about what the best, you know, move was. Do I do I try to so I really wanted to get involved in activism and I wanted to start doing speaking about it. And um, but then I was concerned what impact that was going to have on my sons. And I was afraid that, you know, we didn't know if it would cause them to you know, be harassed at school by their peers, maybe get unfair treatment by teachers or coaches. We, we didn't know. Right. And um, fortunately, that didn't end up happening. And it didn't help that they were a little bit older at the time. They were all basically, oh, shoot, that was five years ago. So they were between 13 and 17 um, mm. when, when all that happened, when I got outed. And we had talked for a number of years you know, about what would happen. Because as open as I was, we knew the potential for me being outed could happen.
2: So we had talked about how to handle
1: it and everything, but it ended up being a much bigger deal than, than I even expected. But but fortunately, like, yeah, their their friends. You know, some of their friends asked questions and stuff, but they were, none of them, they were very supportive. Um, we didn't hear any you know, of the worst things we heard. Were there other parents, like, from the wrestling team and stuff that, you know, kind of talked some crap, but it was, like, behind our backs and everywhere our faces and,
0: I'm like, oh, if they're too
1: much of a coward to even say it to my face why am i not, not going to bother me. And as long as they're not you know, harassing my kids, then I, who cares? Right. And, but, um, but that was the whole reason why I wasn't fully out sooner. So then you know, coming out and having all those opportunities, like I said, the only thing that would maybe be a little bit of regret is I didn't come out sooner. But then again, I was basing that decision on what I felt was best for my boys. So you know, I, I can't go back and say I would have done it any differently. Sure. And, um, but no, and, you know, and I, I enjoy all those moments, you know, winning those championships and breaking world records. I mean, those will always be some of my favorite memories. And They were mm-hmm. great times and all the relationships and friendships I built with the people I competed against and the people I was sponsored with. I mean, to this day, those are some of my best friends.
2: Sure.
1: Yeah. So you know, a lot of great times. I, you know, I loved every second of it. But the only thing is, I think and this goes for any athlete, you know, you, you miss those days, right? Like, <laughs> Right, And just being on that stage—I mean, that, that's what I thrived on. For me, that was my drug, that was my high. There was nothing mm. that you know, felt better than winning. Yeah, and um, you know, so I, I do miss competing. Um, you know, so I—I I, I stay active with a lot of other things, and and um, you know, that'll always be a big part of my life. And, and mm. the boys and I, you know, still—we're <laughs> constantly, you know, going to the park and playing baseball or throwing the football or you know, doing whatever. Right. Um, so those kind of th- activities will always be a big part of our life. But but I do miss competing at a high level. And I, I think that goes for any high-level athlete. Like you know, sometimes And I competed you know, for over 20 years. Yeah. And you know, I had a long career. And um, you know, there's times, I think towards the end of my career, I was starting to feel like maybe I was ready to hang it up. But but once you do, there's always that part of you. That's why I get how many pro athletes retire and come back out of retirement. And, you know, retire again and come back out of retirement. Because we're right. never ready to give that up. You know, it, mm. it, it's... Our bodies may tell us otherwise, but our minds still want to be in there, you know. Sure. uh, I think that's been the hardest part for me is just kind of accepting that, as far as pure strength goes, you know, you hit that peak and you're never going to quite perform at that exact same level again. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm 47 years old now, and and uh, but um, but yeah, it's hard. I do miss that part. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
0: How has it been? There's a moment in the documentary, and you touched on it briefly, just the idea of of people like looking at you. And maybe like when you were, you know, croc, you know, whatever, the power lifter that people kind of made this image out of, they're looking at you one way. And then maybe now if somebody glances at you in an airport or something, you're you're getting a different look. How has that been? That
1: was tough. That was one of the harder things to deal with, especially when I was first going out and... You know, even now, I'm obviously still, even though I'm much, you know, people looking at me now might not think I'm that much smaller, but I but I was at my peak, I, at my biggest, I was close to 280 pounds mm. and I'm under five foot nine. I'm about five, eight and a half or so. Sure. And, um, and, uh, now I'm around, my weight fluctuates. I mean, I'm usually between like 215 and 240 and I've been down as low as 200, um, mm. But, uh, you know, but I'm still quite large, especially for a woman. And, um, but yeah, especially when I was first going out and like, you know, my makeup skills and fashion skills were not good. (laughs) Um, You know, it was a really interesting point in my life because, you know, when I was first going out into public as a woman was also basically at the prime of my athletic career. So I was living in these very different worlds and there was like three different worlds. So like, you know, when I was going to an event or something, an expo or competing at a competition, it was like a touch of what it's like to be famous, you know, like mm-hmm. everybody in that world, everybody knew me and I was one of the top athletes, you know, on the cover of magazines and things like that. So if I was at a, you know, expo, I'm signing autographs and taking pictures with fans. I literally, if I went to go to the bathroom, I would get stopped 10 times on the way to the bathroom to take photos and everything. And, sure. and I appreciated all that support and everything, but that was like a touch of, you know, a small glimpse into what it's like to be famous.
2: Mm-hmm. And then,
1: um, you know, and everybody, you know, people are just clamoring to be around you. And, mm-hmm. um, but then during the week I was working as a pharmacist. So then I'm back home working in right. a pharmacy and I'm just, you know, your average pharmacist and, you know, just <laughs> a normal, you know, your normal middle-class family. But then I'm going out on the weekends and stuff presenting feminine. And as a non-passing trans woman, now at, in certain instances, I'm being treated less than human. I'm being right. stared, I'm being mocked, I'm being ridiculed. I'd walk through a grocery store and hear people snickering behind me. And I was um, terrified of, I always had these like images of a group of high school boys like yelling taunts like across <laughs> the street and, you know, and, like this really public display and, and nothing like that quite ever happened. But like I said, there I would hear, you'd hear whispers, you'd hear laughter after you walked by and I'm sure there were a lot of things said once I was far enough about a distance where they knew, you know, I couldn't hear it. And it was hard. And I I just tried to remind myself, like, look, why am I going to let the opinion of someone I don't know and don't respect affect how I live my life? But I'm not going to lie. It was not easy. It was very difficult, especially at first. And, um, And then, you know, there were instances one night I was followed into a parking garage by five guys. And I'm pretty certain they were contemplating whether or not to jump me. And um, I think the only thing that stopped them is when they got close. It was summertime and I was wearing like a spaghetti strap dress and they saw how muscular I was. Sure. Um, But there was incidents like that. And um, but yeah, it was like going from you know one day you're you know people just i would do anything just to be in your presence and get a photo with you and the next day you're just an average person and then on the weekends now i'm less than human and right. and so very sobering very eye opening it gave me a great perspective but it but it was hard i mean you know i'm not going to lie it was difficult and because i grew up in a very small town and we came from a poor family and my dad did not have a good reputation so it reminded me of kind of like what it was like in that environment because I was the kid that, you know, fathers didn't want me dating their daughters. Um, you know, I wasn't good enough for them. So it brought back those feelings of, of feeling less than and being insecure. And I had grown up with this chip on my shoulder. That was part of my drive to win. I mean, I was naturally competitive and I loved sports, but I was competitive at everything. Um, there was a, a girl from my high school that I um, reconnected with on Facebook. And this was prior to being outed. And she, you know, that's, you know, I was at the peak of my lifting career and her daughter had seen my page and, you know, all these pictures of me lifting these huge weights and my big muscles and all that. And she had told me that when her daughter asked who that was, She's like, that's the person from school that had to be the best at everything. <laughs> she remembered me that, you know, and, and I did. I, you know, like I, I tried really hard to do really well at sports, and, and there were periods where, you know, I tried, depending on how school, there were some rough years in school for me growing up, and at some points, like junior high was a terrible time, like it is for a lot of kids with <laughs> yeah. self esteem, things like that. And with my gender identity issues on top of it, it was just a horrible time for me. But, um, but when things were going well, yeah, I was like a, you know, I was a straight A student and, and, uh, you know, did well at sports. And, but yeah, I just had that kind of personality where I was driven to do those things. And I, and I worked really hard, and but that's where, but a lot of it for me, it was never about like trying to feel like more than someone else trying to be better. It was so I didn't feel like less. I didn't want people to be able to look down on me. And then that was something that always motivated me. And it was like, if I'm, if I'm faster than you, if I'm stronger than you, if I'm smarter than you, you can't look down at me anymore. And so that's sure. that was part of that motivation to try to achieve all these things. And granted, like I said, I was naturally passionate about lifting and naturally competitive and, and really enjoyed those things anyway. But then I also had this huge chip on my shoulder about like, screw you, I'm not less than you and I'm going to prove it. And mm-hmm. so that was part of the motivation for working so hard and pushing so hard on those things.
0: And you having been able to, you know, see things. I mean, like l- kind of almost literally walk in two different pairs of shoes, you know, see things from different sides. I always, something I preach to like my students is, you know, I think empathy is the greatest human endeavor. What, what do you know about empathy that maybe some people don't because you've actually been able to walk in kind of two different arenas?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is, it, it's so nice, like I said, to, I mean, it was difficult, but at the same time, to see all these different perspectives, right? Like, to to understand what it's like to, you know, on one end, be a little bit famous, and then another end, be treated less than human, but then also the differences between how men and women are treated in society. Right. I mean, once I did get to a point, especially where I was, you know, passing more, and for people that aren't familiar with that term, like, the trans community, passing basically means that you're being read as a cisgendered female. Mm-hmm. So, for a trans woman, if she's passing, um, that means that people don't know she's trans. And I, and I honestly, I hate that whole idea of it. I think it's a terrible way to look at things. And I even hate the terminology because if you're not passing, what are you doing? You're failing.
0: Right. And so,
1: it's, and the idea is you're not a valid person or your identity is not valid if you don't conform to what a cis woman is, you know, already pressured to conform to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I really don't like that whole idea, but it does affect how people treat you. And, and I've seen that, you know, like, when, like I said, when, when, I, when I do pass or, you know, however you want to say it, if I'm blending in and treated just like any other woman, I've seen the stark differences between how men and women are treated. And, um, you know, and it was, it was very interesting and, and I've always been because of me being me, I've always been hyper aware of gender and hyper aware of the differences between men and women, but to actually experience it, you know, just to give you a small example, little things like at work, and this is with people who knew me and knew exactly who I was and knew I was the same person that was sitting at my desk a month ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, but like some of my male, my male coworkers, if I had asked them a question before, it would just be, they'd simply give me an answer. Right. And then I noticed not too long after, like, you know, presenting consistently female at work a lot, if I asked a question, now they would come over and do it for me, instead of just telling me the answer. And it was little things like that. And I don't even think they were even conscious they were doing it. But right. um, but just all the different ways, like all the little intricacies of how men and women are treated differently, and you know, like how before, like, I was given a certain amount of automatic respect that was no longer there. And, um, and then just different ways of communicating. And like before, you know, if I was being assertive, I would just be seen as strong and confident and all these other things. And now as a woman, if you're overly assertive, it, that, that is associated with negativity.
2: And, right. um,
1: and uh, so like all those kind of differences, you know, became very apparent. And So it was a really good learning experience. And um, it's given me a great perspective on different things. But at times it's very frustrating to be the same person and not have your opinion value the same way perfect example um, I was at the Arnold this year mm-hmm. um, you know that was right when all the chromosome was just happening and they they shut it down a lot they didn't have fans there but I was there supporting Rob Kearney and then also doing some filming for my YouTube channel and doing some podcasts and stuff and um, and so Rob Kearney was competing in the Arnold strongman and mm-hmm. um, but we were at dinner the night before and uh, I, I don't want to mention names that I don't want to you know throw anybody under the bus but um, one of the other high-level athletes there who was um, a very high-level competitor themselves, when we were – when Rob was deadlifting, um, you know, they were they were talking about it in between his attempts of what he should do. And, I, and here I'm a world record holder of powerlifting, right? Like, <laughs> right? And then he started talking to me as if I had no idea, like, what I – you know, was explaining, like, the basics of deadlifting to me. And he knew who I was. He knew when – I. He was actually at the prime of his career when I was at the prime of my career, and this sure. same guy reached out to me a, a day or two later, I think after the weekend, and apologized, recognized mm. what he had done, and um, and acknowledged that the reason why, like he's like, you know, he's like, later I felt really foolish. Here I'm explaining deadlifting to a world champion powerlifter, and right. um, and but he acknowledged it was because he viewed me as a woman, and then it's just that automatic, well, she doesn't know as much or she doesn't understand because sure. she's a woman and um so just so many differences like that and, and it can be really frustrating especially for someone that's used to not having to deal with those things and not and used to having that privilege where people are just going to you know take your advice as, you know with respect and um and not automatically include something where your advice is less valuable because of your gender
2: sure
1: and um so yeah i mean like i said it was a great learning experience gives me a great perspective but, yeah, it was very frustrating at times, and at times still is. You know, you there are, you know, very many unspoken rules about how men and women are allowed to behave. Right. And um, being constrained by things that you were never constrained by before is, is, is frustrating, and and um, and that's one of the reasons why I speak at so many women's conferences, and especially about, you know, strength sports and athletics and, mm. and things like that, and I really try to help empower that community. Um, I mean, mm. I really understand – you know, I haven't mean, have dealt with that myself and and that's something I'm very passionate about.
0: Has that been difficult too in terms of, you know, you you're an advocate and a role model for the LGBTQIA plus community now, but then are there people who are still they're seeing that first before they're seeing you just as a person?
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's, what's hard too. You definitely, they see you, you know, like I said, just even throwing the word transgender out there, then, you know, a lot of times you're seen as this trans person or, you know, however you want to say it, but yeah, it it kind of, it makes it harder just to see you as a person.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
1: um, and it's interesting too, like now I'm getting to a point where I interact with a lot of people or I'm speaking at a conference and they only know me from that community. They're not aware of my, you know, they know that I was a lot of times they're like, oh yeah, she was a, she was like a bodybuilder or, but they don't really know like, you know, the full background or like the things I was, the things I accomplished. And, um, but yeah, it's hard because it can become such a big part of your identity. And sometimes that's all people see you as. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even just in everyday life, like I know, like I moved a year ago and I'm still in a new neighborhood and, um, I know like I'm, I know a couple of my closest neighbors know the whole story. They've seen the documentary and I'm very, obviously I'm very open about it, mm. but um, yeah, some days I present much more masculine, and some days I'm much more feminine, especially in the hot summer months, if I'm not wearing a makeup and wig, I'm still read, often read as, you know, uh, uh, being very masculine or they just think, wow, well, then why does that big muscular guy paint his nails and carry a purse? You know? <laughs> right. And, um, but uh, but yeah, I've I've heard a couple of stories from some of my neighbors that like yeah, people are in. in here's here's a great one, and this, this this kind of stuff kind of makes me chuckle. But I've had some of the neighbors introduce themselves twice to me, like when I'm, <laughs> when I'm presenting uh, masculine and then when I'm presenting very feminine, not realizing it's the same person. And, uh, so that uh, that makes me feel good about my makeup skills, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> But, um, but, it, but it's always a little bit humorous when that happens. And, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not a boring life. I mean, I get to see things from a lot of different ways. And, I, and honestly, I'm, I'm thankful for that because it, like I said, it gives me a really good perspective and helps me be empathetic to a lot of people's, you know, lives and, and really, you know, like trying to see things through other people's eyes is always a good thing. And, and, um, and even, even when it's people I can't relate to, I still try to, you know, imagine what it must be like for them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, You know, and it's just hard in so many different ways.
0: And we've hit on a lot of the different things, but you've pretty much through your whole life done very difficult things. You know, being a Marine, bodybuilder, powerlifter, of course, transitioning, exceptionally difficult. Even, you know, getting a degree in pharmacy is not an easy thing. What? You kind of talked about like uh, almost enjoying the pain a little bit or or being able to push through that. What personality traits or or characteristics do you think have been essential to overcoming challenge after challenge after challenge?
1: Well, I think part of it, success breeds success, right? So when you have success in one arena, it gives you more confidence to have success in the next. For me, part of that's probably genetics. Part of it's inherent to who I am. I'm just somebody who doesn't take no for an answer. I mean, I was that kid that when my mom told me no, I couldn't play baseball when I was in second grade. I went and signed up anyway. <laughs> and uh, you know, so I kind of always had that headstrong. Like, if I really want something, I'm I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And no one's going to mm-hmm. stop me. Um, but at the same time, it's interesting because I definitely struggled with self-esteem and um, you know body image issues and all that stuff really really severely and um, you know I had a very poor self-esteem but at the same time I always had confidence in my abilities I had confidence that if I worked hard enough long enough I could achieve anything I wanted to and even though like I you know like I said I had a very poor self-image I always felt very because of the you know the gender issues I felt very unattractive I, in In high school, I had just accepted that I was extremely ugly and that no one would be interested in me and didn't even really pursue dating because I really believed no one would ever be interested. Mm. Um, and then getting older and looking back and you know hearing a lot of different things, it was really surprising to me. But um, and even though I recognize those things now, it's still hard. I, I still struggle with like you know the idea that people find me attractive and especially being different. You know it, it, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but like I said, I, I had confidence in my abilities and believed if I worked hard enough, long enough, I could accomplish things. Mm. And then every time I had success in one arena, it led you know to more confidence to success in the next. And that's like in my and career, the Marines had a lot to do with that too. Um, mm. You know, just the Marines told, showed me how much more my body could handle than I thought it could. Sure. I was always competitive and I always worked hard and like, you know, I was known in the as the kid on the wrestling team who was the hardest worker in the room Mm -hmm. but when i got in the marines and we would do some things and you'd go you know you'd be out in the field and going a few several days on hardly like maybe two hours of sleep and the sleep you did get was lying in the dirt with bugs crawling on you
0: and
1: being soaked to the bone and all these things and i I remember doing things we used to call like our long force marches we call them pumps and you know you'd be wearing a full pack of gear you're carrying weapons you know i might have an 81 uh, millimeter this like know four or five foot long uh, mortar barrel that weighs 44 pounds and I'm carrying that for a 26 mile hump and we're in 90 degree heat going straight over mountains and doing all this crazy stuff and I remember sometimes we'd start out and the pace would be so fast and I'd be thinking there's no way we could maintain this even for a couple miles let alone 20 but right. we would do it and and um and, and for me it was like I would look around me and, and I was so competitive that I said I'm hurting terribly, but everyone else has to be hurting worse. And so if, if they're <laughs> right. not going to drop, I will never drop, and I refuse yeah. to ever fall back or let the troop leaders, what I would consider, you know, break me. Mm-hmm. And um, and it and it just so many of those things. Like I when I would start out, like I said, I'd think like, oh my gosh, we can't. There's no way we can do this, and then we do it, and I would be like, oh my gosh, I it would like it was like opening up a new door and like to a new level that I could that I could perform at now. Right. And I carried all that into powerlifting with me. And um, that's what helped me do the insane weight cuts that I would do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was known for my weight cuts. And the, the most extreme I ever did was I cut 35 pounds in 24 hours. <laughs> and um, and it was it was brutal. But, like, I went into that with, like, you know, the mentality is there's no turning back. There's no option. <laughs> like, right. like, there was only forward. And, right. Uh, but yeah, and then the more success I had in powerlifting when I started breaking state records, that gave me the confidence to break national records. And then, you know, then to the world level. And I always believed there was something just inherent about me. From the time I was a young kid, I wanted to be the best in the world at something. I didn't know sure. what it was, but like, I just had that desire.
2: Right. And,
1: and I believed, I knew I was gonna have to work really, really hard to get there because, you know, I was a, kind of a natural athlete, but I wasn't anything super special. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, I, I didn't, um, I had no offers for college scholarships in high school to play sports or anything. I mean, I was a kid that was always a starter, and I was always one of the better kids on the team, but my lack of self-confidence in high school held my athletic performance back a lot. I actually was really capable of doing much better than I did in a lot of the sports. I just didn't believe in myself, but I, but I thought if I stayed there long enough, worked hard enough, I would get to that level. So I always had that belief that I actually wrote an article early in my powerlifting career Called what it takes to be a champion, and then submitted it to a magazine, and it got rejected. <laughs> and, uh, they were like, "Who I mean, is this person? This person hasn't done anything. I mean, just won a state championship." And um, but you know, then I went on to like I said, uh, you know, achieve my biggest goal, which was being number one in the world all time in my weight class. But but right. I had that mentality, and and the thing is, all the injuries I had, and I you know overcame every time I tore something and came back from it. That right. the next time something happened, I didn't doubt one bit that I could come back from it. Sure. So it was like you know, overcome the injury, getting through the cancer, um, you know, just all you know, achieving all these different goals, and you know, making it through some of the stuff I did in the Marines. Honestly, it got to the point in my life where where I'm at now. There, I, I honestly believe I could accomplish any single thing I really wanted to, as long as I'm you know willing to put in the time and suffer and. And do everything that it requires. And so, sure. you know, it just builds that level of confidence in yourself. Um, but yeah, I, I don't believe there are any real barriers. And you know, people will talk about, well, what do you think is the most a person can squat or deadlift or bench? And I'm like, there is no limit. <laughs> okay. Right. So if someone can lift a thousand pounds, then someone else can do a thousand and five. And if it's a thousand five, why not a thousand and ten? And I never in like, you know. I always looked at things like even in pharmacy school, like you said, you know, it's a it's a difficult program, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of chemistry, a lot of biology, and um, and but like and you know, everybody would talk before you when you're trying to get into pharmacy school. They're like, oh my gosh, the Pcat is so hard, and you know, it's so hard to get in, and so many people you know try and don't get in, and then once you're in the program, then it's like, oh my gosh, this class is so hard, <laughs> and so you fail at it. But I, the way I looked at it, in the school I went to, there was 135 people in the class. And, you know, the vast majority of them graduate every year they we graduate in class. Mm-hmm. The way I, at it, I was like, if all those people can do it, I sure as heck can. <laughs> I, I, I got to be smarter than at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, but I just, and that's the way I saw things. And even with lifting, it wasn't like, you know, and if, if there was something that no one else had done, I was like, why not me? I'll be the right. first one to do it. And so I just never, I, I was never scared of a weight. Like sometimes weights would get in people's heads and they get like, you know, you get underneath the bar and put a thousand pounds on your back. That, That's—it's Mentally, that's tough for a lot of people to do. For me, it was just, you know, 800 was more than 700. 900 <laughs> was more than 1,000 was more than 9. Like I didn't really think of things in that manner. It was just always about progress, always about progression. Right. And always wanting more. And I, I never truly saw any limits. And um you know, so that, that was just the way I really I viewed everything. And like I said, fortunately, all those, all the struggle I went through helped build that. And the thing is, the way I grew up, my life was never, and I don't want to say it was like the worst ever by any means. There are people who've been through way more difficult struggles than I ever have. But the way I grew up wasn't easy. And, it, and there was a lot of stuff that I had to struggle through as a young kid. And I, a lot of responsibility was placed on my shoulders as a young child. I, I basically acted more like a parent to my two younger brothers. Sure. And, but having to do all of that and endure those things made me stronger, made me more capable of doing things later in the future. So I'm thankful for every bit of adversity I've been through.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, and all of that helped prepare me to come out as transgender and made it easier to do these really difficult things and put myself out there. And, um, you know, and, and to see where I'm at now, like, I'm sure, you know, 20 years ago, I never could imagine that I would be comfortable walking out in public the way I do now. i've been too ashamed and you know and felt too horrible about myself and now i've reached a point where i'm not going to say it doesn't ever there aren't glimpses of that you know some days you get a weird look or someone makes a nasty comment that it doesn't chip away a little bit um but for the most part like i'm able to do things now that i never envisioned possible so
0: sure well that's Wonderful. And we've been talking for over an hour now. I don't want to keep you all day, but I, I really appreciate it. It's been very motivational. You hit on a lot of different things. And I guess if there's anything else that you have to add, otherwise we'll kind of wrap things up here a bit.
1: No, I just, the one thing I would add is that I really hope that anyone that's, you know, if they're hearing my story for the first time or if they've just seen the documentary or are going to watch it, I think that all of us have things about ourselves that we're afraid to let out into the world. We're afraid of what other people will think. And and we hide often the best parts of ourselves away because we're too terrified of being judged for it or that someone else might think negatively. And I just hope and think anything they can take from my story, and people are different in so many ways, is that there's no... There, it, first of all, everyone has different things we hide. and We all have our insecurities. We all have things that we're harboring, that we're afraid of. And the thing is, is by being open and being honest and letting all that out, you're going to be all of who you're potentially able to be. And it's going to enrich your life. It's going to make you happier. It's going to make you feel better about yourself. So if you are struggling to hide something that you're afraid of, and people are going to judge you for, you know, I hope they find the inspiration to do that, just to be themselves and not let society force them into trying to, you know, and whether, and sometimes it can be, you know, maybe for your parents, maybe for your friends, like maybe you feel like you have to be this certain person as a guy maybe you feel like you've got to be this uber macho, masculine, you know, masculine um, tough guy. And maybe you are in a lot of ways, but maybe you also have a sensitive side that you're afraid to show. And, you know, but that, that's stifling and holding all those emotions inside and not being able to express those is harmful and it hurts your self-esteem and it, and it doesn't allow you to deal with the difficult things in life. And, you know, and then maybe as a woman, maybe you're interested in strength sports, or maybe you're interested in some things that aren't traditionally feminine, and you're afraid of being judged, you're afraid of what, you know, maybe you've got parents that, you know, oh, that's not what a woman does, and that's not how your lady behaves, and all those kind of things. You know, it, hopefully they, you know, anyone for any reason that feels different or worried about hiding these things, if they gather some inspiration from my story to be themselves, they'll push past those barriers, that That's the biggest thing I would like people to be able to take away from everything, just you know inspiration and then an education about the trans community and if there's and one thing I want to say about trans people we're people like everyone else, you know the only major difference is we have issues with our gender identity, some of us are brilliant, some of us aren't some of us are really nice you know kind hearted people, some of us are jerks <laughs> you know and <laughs> Got it. But we're like everyone else. We're just like the rest of society. We have, you know, we have all kinds of other issues and some of us are amazing in a lot of different ways and and some of us struggle. But uh, but trans people are just people like everyone else.
0: Beautifully said. And thank you very much. Inspiration to a lot of people, including me. I got a lot of love and respect for you. So thank you. Thank you so much. So we'll... uh...